Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Recorded live. This is With an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with DNJ. Show 55. Expectations are everything. I am D, Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown to see us talking the sports you care about. Show 55, we will be hitting your Columbus Blue Jackets talking about the moving pieces, Tortzilla in, Richards out. We will then talk about your Cleveland Browns, how they lost another big one to the Denver Broncos. We'll then talk about the World Series matchup that is now back-to-back with the Kansas City Royals facing the New York Mets. And then, of course, set up a little Ohio State Buckeye talk, uh, give you a little behind-the-curtain action. We are taping this podcast on Saturday morning, so Todd McShay is indeed a communist. Uh, Jake, want to talk quickly about the Louisville scandal. Uh, very salacious details. No need to drag the uh, program through the mud the way ESPN is doing on outside the lines, but it does have a tangential connection to the Ohio State University. Jaquan Lyles is one of the students that was recruited. Uh, Terry Rozier, who's now with the Boston Celtics, of course, is also from Ohio. Names being mentioned in the scandal. The the bigger thing is that we see the old guard of coaches all for uniquely specific reasons being uh, ousted for any other better term of college basketball, and I think Rick Pitino's head is on the chopping block next. Uh, you know what, I, I mean, Rick Pitino is a survivor. He's like a cockroach. You can't kill him. Uh, everywhere he goes, and, and I love the guy, honestly. I think he's a great basketball coach, and he's good for the sport. But whether it's the the stuff at UMass or mopping the floor with a waitress for 10 seconds, uh, you know, it's just another thing in the line. And I think what he's done here is he's insulated himself enough to to weather this. Uh, I, I think he will get through it. It, it just, it, 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 you know, he, he kind of took the uh, the Chris Carter route and made sure that he had a fall guy for this. Um, you know, this sort of stuff. I, I mean, I, it's cliche to say it happens at every school and all that sort of stuff. It, maybe it doesn't happen as far as paid prostitution at every school, but it, it, exchanging sexual favors. Uh, to make sure a kid has a good time and maybe the, the good time is the tiebreaker between Duke and Louisville or Kentucky and Louisville, whoever. Uh, it, you know, th- this stuff happens on campuses. Um, it, it's just that the book is out there on this one and they paid uh, paid girls on this one. But uh, like I said, I, I think Rick Pitino has done a good enough job insulating himself and being able to go, what? Who? Where? And uh, I think we're just going to see more of that until this blows over. Uh, I, I just don't see it being a big enough uh, 
scandal that it's going to have staying power, especially this time of the season with all the football and everything else going on. The I think the OTL report was the was the crescendo of this thing. Well, it's pretty damning information, um, and the fact that it took uh, some of these uh, events took place on campus, I think that's going to be the nail-biter forum, just because we've seen what happened at Ohio State. I think everything's about perspective. Um, you know, I saw one of the reporters who uh, was from Kansas City where they were trying to efforting to find the student assistant whose name, you know, who everybody was trying to get on the record. Uh, he was saying it's not a big deal there on their campus. But in Louisville and in Kentucky, it's a huge deal. The governor's come out. Everybody's come out. And I don't think – here's the thing. Nobody wants to see Rick Pitino go. But I think it's one of these things that these these issues are just going to. You, you might be right where it, it's going to. He might try to weather the storm, but I think this storm is too big, just because. It, and it's funny because Jaquan Lyles did not go to Louisville, so you say it happens everywhere. For some reason, this guy chose Ohio State, so who knows what's going on there, Columbus? And I hope, <laughs> I hope, and I hope this is my fear, and this is one of the reasons I bring it up. I hope by him being the first person to cooperate the story. Um, is not that now we opened up Ohio State for a can of worms and seeing what's going on there uh, once again because uh, we saw what happened with Jim Trussell. And that's the only reason I picked to it. If you look at what's happened to coaches, it was Larry Brown down with um, SMU, uh, you, you, Jim Calhoun at UConn, at, and I even think Duke has an issue coming up with the Suleiman issue. His mom came out and spoke about his son being removed, and they made that run to the title last year. Coach K's got some reckoning coming down the line, too. These things take time because the legal proceedings and things like that have to happen, but there's a lot of pressure coming down in Louisville. And uh, as much as Rick Pitino is beloved and been able to survive scandals in the past, I think this is the one that really uh, ends his career not the way he wanted to. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some angst. It'll be interesting. Uh, you know, it, it, I think a very fine line here, whether he stays or goes, and uh, it, it, it will play out here as we as we get going. Oh, he's not walking away. That's one thing I do agree with too that he will steadfastly fight to the end. But uh, he he's beloved by me too, just because of his impact on college basketball, basketball in general. Uh, being the guy that, you know, was shopping for his own groceries at the Boston Celtics and brought all his own players from his former program there. And then we saw how that worked out. It was fun for a while, but it was just, you know, to me that always sticks out to me in basketball lore. Maybe it's a little bit basketball, uh, uh, a little bit of the geek of basketball in me that love that. But, you know, you always think about that scenario. If a coach actually went to the pros and then took all his own players, what kind of team would they be? Well, Rick Pitino answered that question for us. So uh, <laughs> that's why he's always had a special and, – and then, of course, everything he's done with the University of Kentucky, UMass, you know, you think about the success that he's had everywhere. So uh, – but um, – and I, I really feel I, – I bring this up. I, I have a big fan of Cardinal Nation. I got to celebrate with them when they were in the Final Four uh, years back when Ohio State was there. Great fan base, and uh, you think about they brought Petrino back. Now this scandal again with uh, Rick Petrino. You, you, you think there might be another shoot to drop with, Petru- with Petrino? So I hope that guy's got everything in order down here, and he's not taking any more motorcycle rides. So if Petrino leaves, does Louisville bring back Denny Crub? <laughs> I don't. I, I, it would be interesting to see what they would go to. Uh, maybe they go get Young Petrino from Minnesota. So that would be interesting. So. Uh, 
This is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. We will be back talking all things Columbus Blue Jackets. Get ready for the Tortzilla. Jake, we know the Columbus Blue Jackets have yet to win a game this season. They fire Todd Richards. They get your guy, John Tortorella. Your thoughts on this move by the Columbus Blue Jackets? Just go ahead and let it rip. Yep. Um, You know, I guess I was surprised when it kind of started leaking out that Tortorella was being – uh, considered for this job, and there's a lot of people with some negative attitudes towards him, and I, I, I don't know, maybe he just rubs some people the wrong way, and he definitely comes with antics and stuff like that, but this, this is a guy with a proven track record of winning and turning and turning clubs around that have struggled for a long time. He did it with Tampa Bay, and, and I mean, they were a, a terrible team before he got there. And he turned them into a Stanley Cup champion within three years. Uh, same with New York. New York Rangers were uh, just just couldn't get to the playoffs at some point and uh, got them to the conference finals. And, you know, I mean, maybe his expecta- the expectations on the Rangers were too high because he got fired during a season that they made the playoffs. Uh, you know, the Blue Jackets, the history of the Blue Jackets, I would – just playoffs right now, uh, we had the little bit of the glimpse against the Penguins where we won a couple games and how good that felt. You just want to get back there. And this is a guy that has a plan and can come in and change cultures in the locker room and, and get it done. And the, the number one knock on the Blue Jackets and, and what happens in this organization is it becomes a country club. Uh, there's not the accountability that uh, that some some clubs have. And we saw it right away in game one with Brian Johansson missing the last seven minutes of the game, uh, basically because Tortorella felt that he wasn't effective. Dubinsky was the more effective player. Uh, there's been a message sent to him immediately. Uh, Brandon Saad, same thing. He's got to step up his game. Uh, they they got to they figure this out and, uh, and get the most out of these players. You know, the, the long history with Dubinsky and Tortorella back in New York, it, 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 it's amazing sometimes how someone who's hard on you and at the time it feels like they're being too hard on you. You look back 10 years ago or 10 years from that point and you're like, Oh yeah, that guy knew what he was talking about. He was looking out for me and he, and he may have been tough on me, but it was with the thought that I could be more than what I am right now. And I I think that happens in life a lot too. And so now we see Brandon Dubinsky 10 years later talk about nothing except the guy made me a better hockey player. Uh, He's uh, what this locker room needs. So, I mean, Tortorella, he's not going to coddle anybody. He's going to call players out in front of other players in the locker room. Uh, It's just a refreshing change from the status quo of what the Blue Jackets have been bringing bringing guys in as far as coaches. So it, it's it, to me, it's a huge positive step. Did we dig ourselves too big of a hole to get out of this year? We'll see. Um, possibly. You lose a couple more and it's it could be over early. But uh, if there's someone that could get in here and change the culture, add that accountability, that toughness, uh, they got the right guy in Tortorella. 
Well, you know, before the Sabres game, uh, the last the Sabres and Wilds game, you know, I mean, they were just playing awful hockey. I mean, they gave up 30 goals. So at that point, you know they needed to do something now. I'm not trying to be like I was right because I'm not, you know, the hockey nerd here. But, you know, I pointed to a couple things here with this Blue Jackets team, and we got into a huge argument about one of them. Um, the one thing was Todd Richards, you know, coaching in the offseason. I said, maybe this guy needs to be paying more attention to the Blue Jackets. Now, I'm not going to say that's the, the main culprit because I think there's a lot of moving parts to here. But the other one is the trade for side. And to me, it's something about locker rooms that can happen. This team, and maybe it was a country club and all these things, you know, were dominoes that just a little bit, you know, affected the other ones. And the team just came out and they thought they could, you know, uh, get on the ice and do whatever they did and they still win games. And that was not the case. Um, Everybody's playing at a just uh, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of teams are playing at a higher level of hockey right now. I mean, you look at the Canadians and some of these other teams who are just smoking teams. I mean, the Blue Jackets are not ready for that, not ready for that whatsoever. And you see it the way that they give up goals in the third period um, of these games, and that's what's really been the culprit of them losing. Uh, when we speak to Tortorella coming in, I, I'll be honest, I'm not that, you know, knowledgeable about his background, just the stuff that I've seen uh, over the last couple of days. Um, but I will say this, from the one thing I get, that he brings a lot of personality, that's something that the Blue Jackets have never had, you know, in that position. And the other thing with that is that his uh, antagonistic personality almost helped shield players from the losing. So, like, all the comments that we saw coming out of this Blue Jackets locker room, which were very disturbing, whether it was Bobrovsky, you know, people saying that, you know, nobody has confidence in us, whatnot. I don't I don't even understand that. I mean, you're a professional hockey team. You're professional hockey players. This is the sport that you grew up wanting to play and get paid big money to do. So, whether or not somebody has confidence in you or whatsoever, I don't even know what that means. So, that whole thing, you know, I felt like we needed a sports psychologist to go in that locker room because I felt like these guys were going to, you know, do something very, very – harmful to themselves, the way that that was being perceived, and maybe some of those comments, maybe I, I was hoping that some of those comments were taken out of context, but it, it was just, it was very bad where it was going, and the fan base was literally cannibalizing itself over this, because they couldn't understand how a team who played well in the preseason, finished the season the way they did, comes out and has this start, and then it's being magnified, because people were actually picking the Blue Jackets to go to the playoffs. And here's where I get to where the real blame goes for me. Yarmo. This guy didn't get the trade done during the NHL draft. Yes, he got Rarinsky, uh, Zach Rarinsky for, you know, as a defenseman. You know, one of the questions I asked you was, well, whenever we see this guy, and I, I kind of got an idea now. I did a lot of – I was going to go to a whole thing about contracts, but I'm not going to go there. But – Long story short, we won't see him for one to two years. He's got to develop. They didn't, they didn't, you know, do anything else defense-wise during the offseason. They went all offense. So, for me, the GM is the one who has to be to blame, and it goes back to that side trick. That was the watershed moment, and now the chickens have come home to roost, and this is what you have. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think there's some things that you could blame on your armo, uh, not having enough depth in defense on the defensive uh on the blue line that that was an issue um not getting anybody that really could contribute on that fourth line has really hurt this team uh the, the fourth line i mean it sounds like it's a very non-important part of the hockey team 
but those are the guys that have to grind and set the tone and bring the intensity. And it seems like that fourth line is the line that really uh, struggles out there. Um, Doing the same, the Saw trade, I I mean, to me, it made sense. The guy's a 23-year-old kid with a a Stanley Cup championship, played with Jonathan Tays, a great organization, knows how to win. So you bring in a guy like that with all with with all star skills, and he, he, for the next five years he should be a cornerstone. And you got him pretty cheap uh, when you when well, you consider here, that me, he gave let, up Anissa question. Let me ask you a question about this side trade because here's where I come to. It's not so much the trade; it's the message that it sends. You trade for him, and then you give him a huge contract, which. I mean, he pretty much comes in, and only to Davinsky, he's making the most on the team. That's what I think doesn't sit well in the locker room where you have a lot of other guys that have been here for a long time trying to get that kind of a contract. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying it's a bad move for the culture of the locker room with the Blue Jackets. And something – here's my other thing about that. I think Todd Richards didn't even have enough time to work all these guys into what he was trying to do. You talk about the fourth line. Yeah, it's the backbone for teams like the Capitals, the Bruins, even the Tampa Bay Lightning. Their fourth lines are the ones that step up. But, you know, how do you not, you know, you you don't give Todd Richards anything defensively, but then you give him all offense, which his offense was already good. It's it's a weird thing to me. That's why I point to the argument. Well, I, I don't think you traded any, you didn't trade any defense to get Brandon Thought. You just added another piece, you know, it, and as far as the money goes, you know, would would the entire locker room of the Cleveland Indians be completely upset if they signed Cespedes this offseason? I mean, it's not going to happen, but that's the type of thing. I mean, free he was essentially a free agent pickup. It wasn't really a trade, and then a, uh, he was the trade was contingent on him signing a contract extension, which he's earned. I mean, he's an all-star with the Stanley Cup ring. And a top three, uh, a top line forward. So, to me, what I don't think there should be any animosity. I mean, Ryan Johansson got his money last year, and he shows up in, again with no energy, and uh, and we see where we're at with him. So I don't think that's the thing. I think it's more about it's, it's not uh, it's not just that contract extension. It's not just that contract signing though. It's also David Savard got a contract extension. Like it, to me, well, you got a lot of guys. I mean, you got to sign guys that are free agents. But, see, the thing is, though, so, well, then it comes into a a cat thing as well, though. I mean, I understand you got to sign guys, but what is is David Savard, the guy, really, like, this is why I point to the trade that could have happened at the draft. Like, I'm saying it's all connected. Like, it's not just the one thing. Don't get me wrong. But at some point, these moves made by the GM, you've got a team that came out playing 0-7, and it sounded like a bunch of guys that had shotguns in their mouths. You know what I'm saying? What a well, that's why to me it's, a co- coach. It's, it's a coaching thing then. You know, I mean, self-confidence and the way that you carry yourself in a locker room is directly correlated to how the coach treats the team. You know, Todd Richards was answering the questions the same way as these players, which was a big issue. It allows you to make those excuses when your head coach gets on the podium and says, well, we got the talent, but I don't know what's going on. You know, that's your job to know what's going on. And so what do, you, what do we expect these players to say? That's why this Tortorella hire is, is a big, big move, because he ain't going to go on the podium and say, I don't know what's going on. He's going to say, Ryan Johans is a lazy piece of shit. 
So, I mean, the, to me, the, this – Todd Richards was never John Davidson and Yarmo's hire. Yeah, they signed him to the extension, but that's because, again, at the end of last year, they ran out 12 in a row, and it looked like they were going in the right direction. They added some pieces to this team to make that would have made it better. They really didn't lose anybody other than Latestu. So, it, to me, it was just a matter of, of time when this thing started to snowball down the hill uh, and, and players, like you said, were making those sorts of comments and the coach didn't have any answers. The only answer to make is to get somebody else in there and the next choice is so crucial. So, this is Yarmo's legacy. John Tortorella is Yarmo and JD's legacy now going forward and we'll see how that ends up working out. Uh, that, that's where we're at. And I know Calgary was in the building last night. Uh, there, there, there could be some trades made here in very short order. Uh, I, I, I would not feel too comfortable if I was Cam Atkinson about uh, buying a new house in Columbus at this point. Uh, there, so you there's... got Cam Atkinson and Mark Calvert. Uh, we know Dubinsky's not going anywhere with his contract status. But there's just one more question to ask. If yeah. your guy, John Tortorella, does not work out, is it time? to ask for Davidson to possibly get us a new GM in. Yeah, I, I, for sure. I think you give it I, – I think what's going to happen is if you don't see them respond and make the playoffs this year, they're going to they're gonna move some pieces, some big pieces. And that's the question whether or not you want Yarmo to make those trades and blow this thing up because that's the way it's going, or do you want uh, Yarmo to make those moves and do you trust him? Uh, at this point, we've got no other option but to believe in what JD's doing uh, at this point and, and until it goes south and we do it again. You know, that's, that's my con- you want to talk about confidence levels, and that's a word that's been thrown around that quote's been thrown around by the Blue Jackets. My confidence level in the Blue Jackets front office right now is at a zero. Okay, so um, I, I do like the Tortorella hire because you had to do something. Um, and that was the one thing that felt so bad during, you know, and still, un, un, you know, hopefully getting a win today here. Uh, but you wanted, you just wanted some type of action, and you felt that wasn't going to happen. So um, here's my other question that I wanted to get into a little bit. How hard is it for, and Tortorella actually is probably the best guy you could hire, but to come into a situation like that in hockey where a team has been so down, um, the Blue Jackets is might be the most it might be the best worst case scenario because of the talent that they have. Um, but you know how hard is it a, a team losing and then you got to change in the middle you know a coaching change in the middle of a hockey season even early in the season? How hard is it for a guy to change culture? Well, I mean it's not a thing where you can come in and snap your fingers and it's an immediate impact. There there is an immediate impact in this sense, and Jody Shelley said this. Uh, when Tortorella walks in the room, he's one of those coaches that has a presence with him. He commands attention. Uh, you know when he's in that locker room. And to have that quality isn't something that just happens willy-nilly. It's something that is over time uh, is earned. Uh, as far as switching the culture and that sort of thing, you know, it, it – it snowballs the other way as much as it snowballs the way it's going right now. And it starts turning with little battles. you get, you got to just build momentum from one thing to the next to the next. Uh, Goaltending is going to be so huge. I, that's the guy I'm really worried about the most is Bully Bob. 
this team can't go anywhere unless he starts playing better. And it doesn't matter how much effort they have on the ice. If he doesn't make basic saves, uh, you're going to lose games. So until he gets better, all you can do is, is, is win each shift. And then you win each shift, and then a goal happens. And then that goal turns into a lead, and then you win a game. And then you win two in a row. You know, it, it's little battles that start multiplying that snowball into this is what we are. And the best way to get there is, is, for, is for these players to have that accountability. One player can screw up an entire line. You know, if you don't have constant effort for the 60 minutes of a hockey game, it doesn't matter if you play a great first period, if you play a dog shit second period. Uh, and if you've got Ryan Johansson centering Polino and Saad, those two can play as hard as they want to do. But if Johansson is, is dogging it or expects uh, somebody else to be doing something that he's used to doing, I mean, it's just those are the little things that will get worked out as he goes. What's expected of these players will be very evident, and being held feet to the fire will also be there too. So I think those are the good things. But this team can't get any better until until goalie Bob starts uh, playing up to his half of his capability, and that well, comes with confidence too. Yeah. Well, Lundquist had some very good comments about short throw of time with the New York Rangers, uh, and he said he was hard on hard on the guys there. But I, I think. I and I mean, you know, I'm not trying to go into the backgrounds or whatnot, but uh, I've read an article. I'm not going to go into that. I don't want to talk about people's family. Uh, that guy Bob and his dad have a kind of a relationship. And saying when his dad came to see him play last year and missed the game, and he missed the game because of that back injury, I think it was. Well, he had some type of injury. His dad just flew all the way over from Russia. Um, I, let, let, let's say this though. Uh, let, let's say this. When you talk about, so you're hoping that, you know, the Lundquist, Tortorella, you get the same results that you get with uh, Bobrovsky and Tortorella um, in, in the goalie play. Not going, not, I mean, C-Mac has not played that badly at goal. He just, you know, he's overwhelmed back there because of the lack of defense. You look at this Blue Jacks team, though, moving forward. We know that they're capable of putting the streaks together. We've seen them win a whole month before. So that's not something that I fear, and I feel like the Blue Jackets have been a lot worse. I mean, I know, you know, people are acting like this is the end of days here for the Columbus Blue Jackets, but, I mean, to me, it's it was it's seven games. I mean, you can do the math. There's a, there, there is a mathematic, you know, possibility of them still making the playoffs. Now, you said, like you said, the window's closing very quickly here. Let me ask you this question. Is there any defenseman out there that you could go get? I know we're not going to get somebody like John Carlson or P.K. Subban, but like a guy with the Arizona Coyotes, uh, Ekman Larson, or yeah, is there somebody out there that they could trade for that, you know, could sure up the back of this Blue Jackets, you know, defense? Uh, it's probably a little early in the season. Yeah, there's guys out there. I, I mean, I don't have any specific names in mind, but that's why you saw the Calgary scout there last night. I think they are going to make a move to try to get better defensively. Um, and, and how quickly it happens is how desperate other teams are. So, uh, you know, Calgary is not a very good team. They're, they're right up there. And I think there'll be some talks with them. And uh, it's just, it's a matter of playing the waiting game and finding the right move. Uh, But I definitely expect there to be some changes, Uh, maybe not dramatic changes, but there'll be, there'll be some changes uh, to get some help. Both, as a defensive forward and uh, an actual blue liner. 
your outlook for tonight's game. Is this the night where the Blue Jackets get in the black and get in the women's column? By the time this podcast is there, the Blue Jackets will have won. Uh, I think it happens tonight in uh, in Denver against the Avalanche, and uh, I think this team goes on a little bit of a. I I, I really think it's a com- there's a big deal with the confidence, and that one win is going to help this team so much. Just stabilize, and once they're stable then we'll be able to see Tortorella's impact on this team. I think we already saw it a little bit in the Dallas game. They didn't win the game, but or I mean, I mean the Minnesota game uh, against the Wild. Dubnik played out of his mind. Uh, but that team, and especially Alice Wenberg and Matt Talbert, uh, guys like that, uh, you could just see the difference in the way they were skating and uh, the confidence that they had. So, I, I, yeah, I, I do. He, Huge power play goal, and that, and it actually looked like you know one of the messed up issues. Like these guys didn't look like they were running any type of plays. You know, and when you watch other hockey teams on power plays, especially they're not they, the Blue Jackets were not moving the puck around the way they did. But on that in that wild game, they got a huge power play goal, um, and I I think that was an impact. I don't know if that was a new play. I don't know what where it came from, but all of a sudden the Blue Jackets you know were playing at another level. Yeah, uh, I, I noticed a lot of quick passes. A guy's not skating with it a lot, not dumping it a lot and chasing it. It was bang, bang, bang. The moment you had it on your stick, you were looking for the next guy to move it forward. Uh, and I think we'll see more of that. All right. Well, as always, go CBJ. Uh, Blue Jackets fans, you got you really got to put it in perspective. I think we have a unique perspective. If you're all hockey, all Columbus Blue Jackets, I can understand it's very hard for you. But being Brown fans, Indian fans, or whatnot, maybe that's why we weren't hitting the panic button as much as other people. So, because uh, you know I was, I mean, you 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 go through some of those Union Blue Soldiers threads. I was also worried about the players and worried about some of these Columbus Blue Jackets fans. Thought they might be in their garages with the car running, you know. So, like, yeah, we just got to calm down, folks. It's a long season, and I think they're going to get this thing turned around. Yeah, I agree. It's like I said, it's getting close to that point, but I don't think we need now that we've made the change, and there's some uh, some new voices out there. It's not too late yet. I mean, you're probably going to have to win two of every three games to get in the playoffs at this point, but that's not out of the realm of possibility with this team and how how much talent it has. And the one difference between last year and some other years and, and being able to turn it around, it's going to come quicker because it's not a health issue. We're, no, we're not dealing with a devastation of injuries. It's there. It's just a matter of, of finding it. And I have no doubt that Tortorella will help this team find it. And you never know what's going to happen around, you know, the rest of hockey too. It's not like, you know, I mean, we're, we're looking at this thing from the fishbowl that is the Columbus Blue Jackets looking out, but, you know, the rest of these teams got to put up a shut-up as well. I mean, we know certain teams are going to be good, but you never know what can happen to other squads. So, you know, we, we just got to keep the faith there, uh, Blue Jackets, so fifth liners out there. So, as always, though, CBJ, we are the fifth line, Union Blue Pride. We'll be back talking the Cleveland Browns lost to the Denver Broncos. This is with an Ohio Bias podcast for real fans with D and J. If nothing else, it's going to be entertaining if they if they go nuclear. <laughs> it's like, well, I think it's entertaining either way, though. It's going to be exciting hockey if they're winning two out of three games or they're, like, battling each game. Each game becomes like its own little 
series, especially on the back-to-back games with certain teams and stuff like that. So that makes for a more exciting season. Right now, the way this thing was going, it looked like you weren't going to be you were going to be watching the game with a bag over your head. Five dollar uh, lower bowl tickets. That's a, a nationwide arena. You can cut that out. <laughs> The Cleveland Browns uh, lose to the Denver Broncos, twenty-six to twenty-three. So much has been made about Peyton Manning's arm. Well, he had to play when he needed it. Uh, you know, whether to go for two or not go for two, I can't even rehash it all. I, I this points back to what we talked about many, many times before when we started this podcast and whatnot with this regime, this coaching staff. Can you please? They literally should be subjected to almost like hostage-style tactics where they have to go back and watch how the Browns have lost before. Because I think literally with that small history, you would not lose a game like that. You would have a different mindset as you go through the game and then you make some of these decisions. Yeah, you know, I mean, I just feel like this season is about to get spiral out of control. you, Denver handed us that game three times, uh, and as well as Josh McCown has played this year, we saw what Josh McCown really is, and he's played his best football of the year. That's going to median out at some point, and he's going to play some bad football, and this team right now it can barely win with him playing at an all-pro level. Uh, you know, they're two and four. It's going to be real ugly if they can't move the ball. And I, I just I just don't have a great feeling right now going forward. Uh, it, it's it, it's too bad. If I told you at the start of the season the, that these would be the scores for the Browns in games, they would score 28 points, 20 points, 30 points, and 30 points, and then 23 points. What do you think the Browns? You you, you think they'd be three and two maybe at that point with that kind of you know? Scoring? Yeah, I'd be shocked. If they weren't three and two, if you would have said those were the what the Browns scored in the first five games, so and, and you know we, we you give them a watch because of poor effort against the Jets, and this is without Joe Hayden, without Deshaun Gibson, the last couple of games, you know the real problem is this defense. The you know the former Browns website guy comes out writes the you know uh, uh, what I like to call a stir the pot article about you know guys not happy about the scheme. And the thing is, this guy's not saying anything new. People are attacking that guy, saying he's a bitter Browns fan or a bitter Browns, uh, uh, you know, rejected employee. But Paul Kruger came out and said it three weeks back, that he wasn't happy with his role in the, in the defense. That at some point, this goes to the head coach, who is a defensive guy, who we have been banging the same rhetoric over and over again, highest-paid defense. What is happening? Why can't he wrap his arms around the defense if he's got to take the play calling over from Jim O'Neill? I, you know, friendship doesn't lift all shit. You know, I don't understand what's going on here with these Browns and why this guy is pulling away his head coaching opportunity because that's pretty much what's happening. You know, on one hand, I, I hear this, the Paul Kruger quote, and I'm like, shut up and learn how to play the damn game. You know, do what your coach is telling you to do and quit complaining about it if you don't like this team too bad. And then on the other hand, I look at the coaching staff and I say, you know what, it's your damn job to teach these players how to play this scheme. And and the most important part about it, and we talked about it with the Blue Jackets, 
is confidence in what you're doing. You you can't be uh, just thinking all the time out there defensively about what's going on. It needs to be defensively. You got to be flying around. You need to be able to react. And is if if this scheme is too hard for the defense to comprehend, then that's on the coaches to better either teach it or change it to something that works better for their personnel and and their personalities. So it, it works two ways. And, again, it sounds a lot like what was going on in the Blue Jackets, players without confidence and a coaching staff with no answers. Well, you know, the title of the show is Expectations Are Everything. Everybody expected this defense to be good. And even the Browns themselves raised the level of that, you know, uh, uh, to the the moon. Everybody thought we were going to have the number one defense in the league. Well, we saw the number one defense in the league last week and what they're capable of. Here's a real problem with the Browns right now. They are getting worse as the season goes along. You know, you're waiting for that other shoe to drop because they're starting guys. You know, Pierre Desir gets beat on that play out there. Well, you know what? He had played a pretty good game up until that point. Mitchell Schwartz gets beat on one play for a sack by Von Miller after he played a great game the whole game. I mean, these are guys – and the football guy smiled on number 51. Barkevius Mingo makes an interception – makes an actual play on the football field for once, and then we can't capitalize on it. At some point, your head coach has to be able to turn these things in. That, those are the differences between winning and losing. And you talk about, you know, with this NFL season, you've got to be able to maximize those opportunities when they're – I mean, these things are gift wrapped. They were gift wrapped for the Browns. You talk – three times they gave away that game. Same thing happened against the Chargers. This Browns team – We'll never find a way to win when they yeah. can't capitalize on things like that. And here's the other thing. We go into a time where they're going to take on, yeah, the Rams and the Cardinals. So uh, all, all that's looking down the barrel of the gun that you hear this week is Robert Quinn, uh, Errol Donald, a guy who the Browns could have taken, which I wasn't high on, but, hey, guys falling out of control. Our, our, our Buckeye alumni, James Lurinaitis, and uh, Janoris Jenkins, former teammate of Joe Hayden, who's actually on the field and going to play this week, even though he was going through – injuries, and we don't have Joe Hayden on our field. He might be uh, checking out his Jordan collection at home. I mean, you want to talk about GMs. I mean, we're, the Browns are playing without any of their first-round picks, basically, from the last five years. Uh, and it, it's it's just you can't handcuff yourself that way in, with talent. And then, I mean, they're just – it's like a perfect storm. There's so many things dysfunctional with the Browns to point to uh, that – you just it, it, it your your head just starts spinning as far as how to fix them, um, the per, from the personnel decisions to the coaching to the actual play on the field. Um, you, you talked about that Mingo interception. I mean, they, Mingo was down in field goal range. I mean, he had the ball at the thirty-five yard line. All you got to do is go forward, maybe another three or four yards to have a legitimate shot at ending that game. And instead, you take bad snaps, bad penalties. Uh, a bad stack, and it, it turns into a disaster. It, it, the NFL is such a – these games are so close all across the league that it comes down to one critical play, one key turnover, uh, one one big mistake, and it's game over. And that's where the Browns lack. They can hang in games, but I have zero confidence in them to, to make that play that wins them the game. And it's been the same since 99, even when they had some talent, 
is the same thing. They they fail to make the one critical play that you need to make every week that wins you a game, and that's what the good teams do. They they capitalize on the mistakes of others, or they make the big play when they need to make it. And they usually make the big play against the Browns when they need to make it. Huh? We put our picks up, you know, on you know with an Ohio bias dot com. I got the Browns somehow beating the Rams. I I, I just feel is everything's against them this week. Maybe they come out and play with the energy that they need to. Uh, but I'll tell you this: I think Nick Foles is going to be the surprise of this game. I don't think the running game. I think the Browns will actually somehow stop early, maybe. Um, and then it'll be the passing game that kills it. It's always the opposite of what you think with these guys how they lose. I think they get a win here. This is the first time I've done this in a while, and I, I think the Browns not only lose but don't cover. I think they're going to lose 24 to 10. I, I just don't see it. I, I think there's a regression coming for McCown, and the way Todd Gurley's running and the way this team has been portrayed defensively through that article, uh, it, it, it's, it sounds like they have no clue what they're doing and no confidence what they're doing defensively, and that's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, the 24-10 Rams. Yeah, the quote by the former Browns employee was that they're a tangled mess. Um, just, you know, and, and, and we've talked about it, you know, said it on the podcast before. This team has no margin for error. They have to have everything hitting on all cylinders. And even then, you know, the worst can still happen. So, um, you know, I think the Browns win, you know, somehow, some way. I'll, I'll tell you this. We have to talk about it just because it's there, and you ask this question, and it might, you know, be a possibility that uh, takes its own self off just because I've been reading it, and it might be coming down. And it's been reading it deep in some of the, uh, the old NFL uh, web web searches. Johnny Manziel might get suspended by Roger Goodell because of the incident of the domestic violence thing as they wait for the investigation. So he might get the Greg Hardy's treatment uh, where he's put on the commissioner's exempt list so that might take the possibility of him actually playing. And if you're the Browns and you can't see this guy play, and if we do to get that regression of McConnell, then what do you do? Well, I think that's why they went out and got Austin Davis, um, quite frankly. I don't think the coaching staff really uh, – well, maybe some of the coaching staff, but I don't think Mike Pettin is on board with Johnny Manziel um, and, and wanting to play him. So, it, I mean, it, it's – it's, a, it's too bad that we got to talk about this shit. But, you know, you, you spend 10 months in rehab. There's no excuses. You, you shouldn't be out drink, day drinking at 2 in the afternoon. And if you get yourself in trouble in that spot, you've had plenty of damn chances. It's too bad. You, you, you just I, – I, I'm to the point right now where I don't care what they do with Johnny Manziel. And I don't expect anything out of Johnny Manziel for his career at this point. So. Uh, Expectations are pretty low there, and if he's if he is a distraction in the locker room, then you got to get rid of him. And I don't care if you spend a first round draft pick on him or not. Uh, the one guy that's going to have to answer for all of this is is Ray Farmer. Yeah, I think we pretty much know where that's going. Plenty of time to talk about that. Um, with the Manziel issue, you know, a lot of people have asked for him just to get rid of his girlfriend. I don't think people understand how young relationships work. The more you push somebody, you tell somebody that they need to get rid of somebody, the more they want to push them towards them, uh, push them towards that person. So that's not going to work. And here's the other thing. I don't even think it's in Johnny's best interest to get rid of her because then 
she probably leaves him and writes a tell-all book and goes all e Hollywood true Hollywood story on this guy's background. So you talk about distractions, that would even be a bigger distraction. Um, and I, I it, I've always felt that it was Manziel or nothing. You know, I got the T-shirt that says it. You know, it literally just went to the point that either it was going to be this guy flourishes and it's going to be everything, or it's going to be you know the train wreck that we kind of see uh, happening before our eyes. Uh, I think the Browns, I. I they just lack the leadership that they really need. You know, a lot, and this was one of the fun conversations I actually heard on Sports Talk over the week. We expected Mike Patton to come in here, and we all thought we were getting Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, uh, this tough, you know, no nonsense guy, kind of like you, you compared it to the Blue Jackets. But I think we got more Todd Richards than we got Tortorella, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's, I see zero fire from him. He's a stoic on the sideline, and then he's snarky on the on the podium. He gives you smart-ass answers, uh, doesn't show any sort of uh, emotion or frustration with what's going on, and maybe that's what you do as a head coach. But there needs to be there needs to be something. There's it's like there's no pulse at all, and uh, and the results on the field aren't backing it up. You can't play Bill Belichick unless you've got uh, the the resume to back that up. I think we'll be looking for some new folks. You know how I felt, and I said it before, you know, we could trade everybody, start this whole thing over again. Because my thing is I want to be in the process of trending up, not treading water, not, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop to go two steps back. I want to be trending up, and until we, you know, start building this thing the right way, that's basically we're doing all those things all at the same time. We're not moving in the direction that we want to move. We're kind of hoping that, you know, the Browns pull, you know, the old rabbit out of the hat and surprise us all, you know, instead of the dead flowers. So, I mean, that's all you can hope. Uh, as always, Bill Browns, I hate to end it on a melancholy note, but it is what it is. Jake, do you have a positive word for the people on the Cleveland Browns? And, and it's just frustrating. Every damn week there's nothing positive to say. It's it's all negative. Even on the weeks that we win, it seems like there's nothing but negative shit to say. And I'm so sick of it. This organization, I mean, I'm done. No, there's there's nothing positive I've got right now. Nothing. As always, Bill Browns, it is still believe land somehow, some way. The Browns will see another day. Uh, the best news, though, we got a little Cleveland Cavaliers. We'll be talking that as we come back. And the MLB playoffs. This is with an Ohio Bias, the podcast for real fans with D and Jake. Jake, we're going to slide some Cavs talk in here. The Cavs are coming back. The preseason is over. For us, we won't do a full Cavs preview show, but I mean, let's be honest, Tristan Thompson signs, Cavs get back to full roster. Now we're just trying to get everybody healthy all at the same time. Finally, something positive in Cleveland sports to talk about. Um, This Cavs team is deep and is primed and ready to go for a championship run. Uh, We're seeing a legitimate backup at every position if something were to happen to the guy in front of them. Uh, last year will not repeat itself as far as being completely disabled by our injuries. Uh, injuries happen, but now we're prepared for that. Uh, we've got the best player in basketball, and uh, it's it's 
an exciting time. It's all in Cleveland, and the players are all in. There's no distractions. Uh, it, this team's relatively healthy, uh, considering where they were at the end of last year. And I just couldn't be more excited for the probably the best legitimate opportunity for Cleveland to win a title, um, maybe in my lifetime, other than the 90s Indians. Uh, th- this is as good of a team uh, as, as I can remember being a Cleveland sports fan. Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no other doubt that the expectation is a championship. Um, here's the thing, though. It's going to take some time, folks. I don't want to see people jump off the bandwagon after this next weekend, after opening night, and then, you know, they have opening night in Cleveland, opening night against the Bulls, then opening night in Cleveland. Let's not jump off the bandwagon if the Cavs lose a couple here early on. We won't see Kyrie for a while. Kevin Love is actually back, so he's worked his way back into rotation. Um I'll tell you this. Uh, you know I've been tracking it because I'm just like that. Joe Harris has even played seemingly to the level of somebody that can warm the bench in the, in the NBA. He's actually scored some points in the preseason. He did not crack double digits only but once. But, hey, even that's a telling sign for the Cleveland Cavaliers in this roster moving forward. Yeah, I mean, even, like you said, even the guys at the end of the bench – uh, it, you know, it, it, it's it's good to have functional guys that can fill a small role for a small amount of time, and that's what you're looking for at the end of your bench. Uh, so it, it, there's there's the dead weight isn't there. I mean, even the the additions of Sasha Khan and Richard Jefferson, I mean, these guys are going to be contributors. They're not just uh, towel waivers uh, on the end of the bench anymore. And, you know, the uh, Timothy Mozgov is nursing. You know, he had the small knee surgery in the offseason, so he's still working his way back with that. So you're going to see him limited, I think, a lot, maybe not even play a lot of nights. Verjal looks unbelievable, looks full Verjal form, so we get that back. Got to limit that so we have that when it comes around in June, Lord knows. Um, so that's basically – and here's the thing that I have confidence in, and I think this is going to uh, speak to uh, a lot of things, but one – with Coach David Black, one of the things is I'm hearing a lot of good things when it comes to LeBron James actually buying into his offensive system. And, you know, one of the things we pointed to last year, it, it was kind of thrown together. His offensive system actually has been very successful. You know, basketball is basketball anywhere. If you pass the ball, cut, move, whatnot, you can, you know, almost beat anybody with that kind of basketball. So it's going to be real interesting to see what they do as they're waiting for somebody, you know, Kyrie to get back and stuff like that how these other players find in, buy into his system. And if LeBron James is buying in, that's a huge thing. So we might actually see a different brand of Cavs basketball as we move through getting everybody back healthy. I think the best thing that David Blatt did is he has done nothing to try to push away LeBron from having, uh, for lack of a better word, a coaching role with this team. Uh, he's he's been able to uh, put his ego aside and and uh, allow his his leader to help him as another coach on the floor, uh, which a lot of head coaches couldn't do. And uh, it, it, there were some rocky times last year, obviously, uh, as the season went through. But I, I I feel like there's a mutual respect there and a, a good working relationship. And I, I think that's the biggest thing with with David Blatt is that he, you really don't see that, uh, that it factor that I've got to be the, the guy to lead this team. 
he realizes that he needs to facilitate this team into the best position to win games. Well, I think the other thing is, too, you know, expectations are everything, as the title of the show, but we know the expectation is championship now. And the other thing is that everybody knows the Cavs are coming out of the East Park. You know, you look at what happened in the finals, we weren't happy with that result. But up until that point, they steamrolled through. I mean, a little triple with the Bulls, but, you know, after LeBron hit that shot, that pretty much buried the Bulls. So they steamrolled through Atlanta. I don't want to hear anything about the Atlanta Hawks. If you're an Atlanta Hawks fan, you – you you should walk you should cross the street when you see anybody wearing you know wine and gold okay because you don't even need to even look their way because you have nothing to say so you know I mean you might see maybe Miami but they're going to take a long time to coalesce down there um, with Chris Bosh coming back and whatnot you got to see them on ESPN uh, Wednesday night I think the only team that could really challenge the Cavs is the Washington Wizards and that's going to be the one thing you want to watch out for uh, but even with that. They go as far as John Wall goes. Um, I think the Cavs are just in the perfect position to be in that driver's seat in the Eastern Conference. So all, you know, all the storylines and the pressure, that pressure that was on the Cavs last year to be the beast of the East and all that stuff, that stuff is gone now. Or not gone, but I think they, they are used to that level of pressure. And so that will make it a little easier for them to exhale and hit the, the, you know, hit the marks where they need to. Just find themselves playing the basketball that they want to play you know, as we go through this long NBA season? I don't think the East has gotten – I mean, it's nowhere near the level of where the West is right now. But I think the East has gotten stronger. Uh, Toronto has gotten stronger. Uh, the Bulls are, are back if they could stay healthy. Miami has gotten stronger. Uh, Atlanta is going to have a good team again this year. So it, it, I, I, my expectations aren't, you know uh, – win 80 or 78 games or something like that all or or go four 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 in the playoffs it doesn't matter just win the championship doesn't matter how you get there doesn't matter if you lose seven of nine games in the middle of the season stuff like that's going to happen there and there's some teams that are going to give you i think a little bit better competition as the season goes on uh indiana with paul george coming back healthy is going to be better so there's there's definitely some obstacles and some ways to, to stumble along the way, but this team, as constructed, it, it's it, the clear clear favorite to come out of the East. And with as good as the West is, and especially at the top of the West, uh, that's going to be a, a nightmare as far as coming out and being healthy and ready to go to take on a team. Uh, I actually think the competition in the East rising up a little bit will better test the Cavs and have them more prepared and ready to go when time comes to face the Spurs or the uh, Warriors or whoever comes out of the West. Oh, it's going to be very exciting, and I think it's like a roller coaster. Um, but one team I'm looking out for in the East is the Milwaukee Bucks with the addition of Greg Monroe. Yeah, I think another one. Yeah, uh, the East is getting coaster. better. Yeah, the roller coaster ride will be this. Can you imagine if the Cavs, you know, are playing at a certain level and then they add back a 50-point-plus score against those so-called San Antonio Spurs and Kyrie Irving and see the level of basketball then go to another level of getting him back into the rotation and the chemistry with the guy? That's what I'm saying. It's going to be a fun season to see how, you know, everybody gets back healthy and then how they rotate it in and how Black's moving these pieces around working with the rotation, keeping limited minutes. The nights that LeBron doesn't play because he's not going to play in a lot of these uh, four nights in a row games and stuff like that. So what the Cavs look like without him 
And here's the thing. You might get that scenario in the playoffs and whatnot, so God forbid, but I'm just saying, like, it's going to be real interesting what this Cavs team is and what we have, you know, Cavs basketball. But like you said, just who cares as long as we get there and that parade's going down. The one other thing to to keep in mind and maybe in the back of your head, too, as this season goes on and a need presents itself on the Cavs, they do have that exemption from Brandon Hayward. So they'll be able to add a, not a, an all-star player, but someone who can definitely contribute in an area of deficiency that you might find out as the season goes along. So there, there's still even room to make this team better as the season go, go, goes into uh, December and January and towards the playoffs. I thought my man David Griffin was going to be able to take a nap. But no nights off, David Griffin. You're doing a hell of a job, but keep working hard. So, you know, like, you know, he's got to use that trade extension. You're, you're right about that. So, uh, very excited about the Cavs season. And uh, I'll tell you this. I don't understand why Derek Rose is playing. I don't know if you've seen this guy. This guy, he literally looks like a cyborg. His eye is so closed up from that orbital injury that he had. He came out and played in a preseason game the other night, trying to play Tuesday night. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the saddest thing of all to see a professional athlete who's so often injured, and Lord knows we've seen it in Cleveland, even with the Cavs, trying to play when they shouldn't be playing sometimes. And, you know, what they do to this guy, I don't know who it is in the Bulls front office and whatnot. I don't I, – I, I, you know, one of the knocks on Derrick Rose was he tough enough. There's no question the guy's tough. Why he has to keep trying to play in this kind of situation is beyond me when a guy could literally just needs to get back to 100%. You know, like, I don't understand. I, I couldn't agree more. I don't, I don't understand why you would throw him out there, why you would do anything but have him wrapped in bubble wrap waiting for Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever their first game is. So, uh, but very exciting to see this NBA season start. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, you always make the point, it's one of the best times of the year because you got Uku sports on your TV at all times. As always, go Cavs, Cavs Nation, and still all-in CLE. Jake, I know you're excited. The World Series is upon us again. Uh, some high drama, how we got here. But we got the Blue Jays versus the New York Mets. Uh, talk a little bit about this journey that was for the NL and AL representatives. Well, I mean, you start with the Mets. I mean, they, the, the young starting pitching uh, middle of this year, this offense was completely stagnant. They couldn't score any runs. Uh, you add, you know, an assessment. And, you know, I talk about it a lot. When you add, in baseball in a lineup, when you add one player, and we saw it with Francisco Lindor with the Indians, one player can make the entire difference in an entire lineup. It, it, it just, it, it adds chemistry. It puts, players in right positions uh it, it doesn't have guys trying to do too much and it, it's amazing in a nine-man lineup how one guy can change the whole complexion of it I, every year in baseball you see it um so the the Mets and and what they were able to do to go out and and get someone to to help them score some runs they've turned into the best team in the National League over the last four months of the year and into the playoffs uh for the Royals you know, to to go out and make the move for Johnny Cueto and give up a couple prospects. Yeah, I know Cueto hasn't worked out the way they wanted him to, but they also have done this in a small market uh, a pretty big thing to go and, and seize the moment. And they they're the team with the experience now. Um, I, I like the Mets starting pitching a little bit better. 
I, I just feel like the Mets have some destiny to them more than the Royals. Uh, but uh, both these teams and their journeys were pretty incredible. The Royals, you know, they were the number one uh, seed pretty much the entire year. They ran away with the Central Division, and then they added Johnny Cueto. So I, I think the key to this series is the starting pitching. Can the Royals get out of Ventura and Cueto uh, enough to match the Jacob DeGroms and the Matt Harveys and the Syndergaards? Well, you know, I always look at things from a fan perspective a little bit. Thank God the Cubs didn't make it to the World Series. I mean, besides the back to the future references that I actually enjoy, these these that has to be the second most arrogant fan base of all time that has never even accomplished anything. I mean, my goodness, at least the Yankees win. So uh, I was happy to see that end and just these Cubs fans shut the hell up. Oh, uh, and the, uh, real quick while you're talking about that, the, and the obnoxious thing is. They 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 make themselves seem like they're so starved for a championship, and they've been through so much. You know, shut up while you're wearing your Blackhawks gear and your Air Jordans. I don't want to hear it from anybody outside the city of Cleveland, maybe Buffalo. And uh, and for Chicago fans to, to to play the woe is me, we're the fat losers, and, and we haven't had a championship since uh, uh, Lincoln was in office. Too bad. Exactly. I'm so with that. I hate cities who have one team that hasn't won anything, but they've got three other teams that have won Super Bowls and World Series and NBA championships. So stuff it. And then I feel bad for our neighbors to the north. You know, the uh, our Canadian, you know, friend is almost like 27 dresses. They're always a bridesmaid, you know, if it's the Raptors or – uh, Lord knows the least ain't making it nowhere, but if it's the Raptors or it's the Blue Jays here, Blue Jays have an incredible season, and I think they got some things to build off of, but they got a long way to go if they're going to make it to the next level. Uh, we saw some great managing last night uh, in that in that closeout game by the Royals, but uh, when it comes down to it, they just didn't have enough. It ain't Joey Bat's fault, I'll tell you that. Lots been made about that bat flip, but that guy just brings it. So uh, shout out to Joey Bat, so a follower of with an Ohio bias on Twitter. Uh, but, you know, I think that, you know, we got the matchup that we want to see. The Mets, Blue J- uh, the Mets, the Mets Royals will be the game that we want. Can the Royals, you know, finally take their team and finish the job is one thing. I know you're hard on that, Yost. It always feels like he gets outmaneuvered here or there some some game or some key spot. So I think that's going to be one of the real keys. If that if it comes down to it, can Ned Yost hit the right, you know, marks and play that chess game? And with the Mets, they just look like they're clicking at the right time. And, I mean, it might be like 86 all over again. Yeah, David Wright with an incredible postseason. Uh, I think he homered in what he was – it was definitely seven. It might have even been eight straight games. Uh, there's Must nobody be. that's ever done that. Um, you know, it, it's – it's going to be and fun. And bad, bad guy Daniel Murphy, the bizarro yeah. of good guy David Murphy. That's what I mean, Daniel Murphy. Daniel Murphy. Uh, my bad. And what a great run and, until they pop them for HGH. But uh, in the meantime, uh, good for him. And uh, it, it, like I said, it feels like a little bit of destiny for the Mets. Uh, the one concern I would have going forward in this series is the bullpens. Uh, Kansas City's bullpen is just lights out. If you get them a lead in the sixth, I don't see the Mets being able to to come back. 
uh, on the flip side, the Mets bullpen has been very good in the playoffs, but in the regular season definitely had some issues. And it's you just feel like you're waiting for the the bullpen of the Mets to implode a little bit. So keep an eye on that. But uh, I, I think it's going to be a good series. I think it will be a long series. I think it goes six or seven games. And um, right now I'll, I'll take the Mets to, to win the world championship. Well, I'll be contrary and take the Royals just because I think, you know, they – Ned Yost finally gets over the hump and doesn't make the stupid decision. Um, and you said that bully is going to be the difference, I think, for the Royals. Here, here's the thing, and here's the one thing, uh, considering the MLB makes us play this to the point you got kids knocking on your door for candy, shout out to Mother Nature. You know, uh, and Lord knows, you know, God bless the people of Mexico with Hurricane Patricia, so I'm not trying to be insensitive to that. But uh, the, the weather for these MLB games, besides the torrential rain that delayed uh, game, game five uh, with the Blue Jays and the Royals, game six with Blue Jays and Royals, you know, like uh, game five with the Blue Jays and Royals in that little bit of rain delay. I mean, Mother Nature has been pretty good to the MLB playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember this being this late in October and having pretty much no one in uh, with the head wrap on and the long sleeves. I mean, this is like playing in May right now. Every, every game, uh, the first pitch is 62 degrees, it seems. Uh, on the East Coast and in the Midwest, which is very strange. Uh, we'll see how the weather affects it. But generally in the World Series, it comes down to pitching, uh, especially starting pitching. So uh, I think those, that's the team that ends up ultimately winning the World Series is the team that can get the better starting pitching. All right, well, get your popcorn ready and your cracker jack and enjoy yourself some World Series baseball. The MLB World Series always delivers a great, great, time. We closed the show this week talking a little Ohio State Buckeyes. I mean, let's be honest, it's Rutgers. Uh, I don't expect anything but a big win, but I do have a message for Buckeye Nation and these fans. You can't celebrate the guy at quarterback or the quarterback switch. But this is for all the JT Barrett fans out there and whatnot. Like, it's the second coming. I mean, it's almost disrespectful, and you show your ignorance as a fan. You know, it's fine if you think the backup quarterback is the better guy. The backup quarterback is always the better guy in any scenario. So I don't understand, like, everybody acts like there is some great genius to this, you know, motion. And I'll tell you this. If I, as you know, if, if I'm mistaken, I don't think Cardale Jones has lost the game. So as badly as he's played in a lot of people's eyes and whatnot, you know, all the moving pieces that are happening at Ohio State, with, you know, we talked about Tom Herman's departure and, and everything else, you know, the offensive line play, you know, no deep threats at receiver and whatnot, the fact that our offense isn't a real pro-style offense, I don't know what people really think they expect. The Buckeyes have won. They won, you know, they finally started to click a little bit. I don't care who the quarterback is, but the fact that you're going to celebrate it like, you know, it's another national championship is a real classless move by Buckeye Nation. Well, I mean, and the the people who are on Twitter and harassing Cardell Jones, I mean, you need to slap yourself. Uh, just stop doing it. The guy, like you said, is undefeated as a starter, won you a national championship as a third-string quarterback, and has been, it's, you know, it, it hasn't been ideal at times. He hasn't been uh, on target at times, but the guy's still a good option. Uh, I, I think, you know, JT Barrett, like you said, Devin Smith is gone. It's not a pro-style uh, 
system. They want to run the, the read option. And to me, there's nobody better in college football at the read option than J.T. Barrett. I've never seen a guy keep the ball as long as he does before he makes a decision and makes that defender commit quite like he does. And I think this is going to benefit mostly Ezekiel Elliott, who already was having 100-yard games, uh, could, could even get better at this point because J.T. will be, now be a, more of a running option. And I think it will help Braxton Miller as well. Uh, it, it, we're not going to be – we're going to find a little bit more of an identity, I think, with JT. But I agree with you. There's there's no reason to be celebrating it or bashing Cardell for any reason. Uh, it, 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 he's, he did nothing wrong, uh, and I think it's just a matter of this is the better option at this point for this team moving forward. And I'm not arguing that point. Here's the other thing. You could even take this angle on it. Well, you should be taking Cardell Jones for letting J.C. Barrett get to this point where he can play the rest of these games and, and you know, play healthier, play, you know. Because J.C. Barrett is not, you know, uh, the solid player that everybody thinks. When I say solid player, I mean the fact that this guy has been hurt through his career time and time again. So my thing is, you know, all these people want to bash Cardell Jones and things like that. You're going to need Cardell Jones at some point, especially the way you talk about him running that zone read. Well, if he holds that ball too long at certain times, he gets blown up just like he did against Penn State. The, the one lineman saw it and actually blew this guy up. So you can't have your quarterback taking hits like that. And that's the only thing when you get J.T. Barrett out there, he's going to take some hits. I mean, we saw it with Braxton Miller. These guys are going to get hurt because of the amount of contact that they take. So the fact that we were able to even stage that off and we are now going to this option, you know, you talk about the health and wealth of the Ohio State depth chart. I mean, you know, I, I just don't understand. I, I, I am I'm confounded with, you know, these Ohio State fans. And it's not everybody, so I'm sorry to say fuck out of but it is what it is. I'm just I'm disgusted with these people who like, you know, you you should just be happy that your team is winning and is the pinnacle of success of college football and stop, you know, you know, making mountains out of molehills and finding something to be upset about. No, and for there to be boos for Cardell Jones last week was absolutely ridiculous. If you think about what this guy has done for this this uh, this university, um, they, I I really just—it's nothing more than JT Better Barrett is the better option in this system at the moment. And you're right; uh, you're, you, there's a good chance you could see Cardell Jones uh, not only in, in an injury situation. Cardell Jones is a damn good football player, and we'll, we will see him even with J.T. Barrett healthy. Uh, J.T. Barrett isn't Joe Montana. He's not putting the ball everywhere else. And if he struggles a little bit, I, I think it will be a longer leash. But they're not going to be afraid to to go back to Cardell Jones at some point if they if they think that's the best thing for this team. And I'll tell you this, like, you look at Michigan State, even Michigan, you know, the way to attack them is really down the field if you really wanted to go after them. I mean, you're going to have to have good offensive line play, which we haven't had the greatest this year. They're starting to coalesce a little bit and play better. But, you know, you get to those teams, and even when we look past that Iowa, the same thing if we see them uh, in the Big Ten championship game and as we move on into, you know, the playoff rounds of the college football playoff. Yeah, I I, I, I am sickened, just sickened. I, I, yeah. And the thing is, you know, also sickens me that Rutgers is in this Big Ten I don't care if it's for the New York media market and whatnot. You know, this program, this Rutgers program, 
they're embroiled in all kinds of controversy. They got players, you know, knocking their girlfriends out, uh, you know, boosters paying for the college the coach's salary. I mean, you know, at some point, you know, the Big Ten's got to look at this and say enough enough. Yeah, we could we could we could put Mama in for the New York media market if we really need. To. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is disgusting what goes on at Rutgers. Kyle Flood buying grades for players. Uh, you've got five players at once being suspended for armed assault and robbery. Uh, it, it's a completely dysfunctional organization from the athletic director down to the coaching staff. Uh, Kyle Flood, I don't understand how he has a job at this moment. And it, it, as far as the on-the-field product, it is just about as gross as the off-the-field product when it comes to the the football program anyway. And, uh, you know, it, it's not like the other programs are bringing a whole lot to the table either. That's what's always funny to me. You know, if Rutgers was winning, you know, or they were in the national conversation in the top 25 you know, it would be a different story to me. Maybe some of the results, you would say, hey, maybe that's why they're looking another way there. That program is in, you know, utter disarray is the example of the loss, uh, the lack of institutional control, and they're still not winning any games, and it's not even paying dividends on the football field. So why are you letting these things occur? Uh, I mean, uh, that's the whole, we can do a full podcast on records. But, you know, uh, getting back, you know, Ohio State should win this game easily. Um, listen, ladies and gentlemen, Wake up and smell the coffee. I, I got into it in a little bit in one of these books. I, I, I try not to get in arguments on the Internet, but it's almost inevitable. Uh, and it's un, uh, completely unavoidable because somebody says something that just sparks my anger. And, you know, this is the closing of the show. I know this is a long one, but somebody put up, you know, John Cooper was a great coach and a great Buckeye and all this yada, yada, yada. Listen, folks, this is why this Urban Meyer era is so great right now and why you really should shut your mouth and appreciate it and stop talking about who's the quarterback and stuff like that and just appreciate what's happening before your eyes and actually enjoy it. If you remember the John Cooper era, this guy shamed you, the university. And I'm talking about he would clear out Columbus, Ohio, after a football game faster than, you know, the Ebola virus or something you see on The Walking Dead. Because these games that Ohio State will have the best talent to, you know, be ranked high in the nation and lose games they shouldn't lose. If you think about Michigan State, somebody talked about the Liberty Bowl loss. And, I mean, for the fact of the matter, people try to reinvent history and say John Cooper was a great coach. This guy literally, great guy. I've met him. You know what I'm saying? He actually has been more astute about the current situation of the plus guys than he was when he was coaching. So I give him credit for a football mind. But when it came to the X and O's and getting football, you know, games and getting wins, and we all know what his record against the team up north is, that was terrible. So this is why I appreciate the current situation with the Buckeyes. I mean, Urban Meyer has only lost three games. I mean, has not lost in the Big Ten regular season. So I don't know what more folks really want. No, it's it's good to be a Buckeye fan. If you can't enjoy it and you got to complain about this team, walk a mile in my shoes. Well, as always, go Bucks. Uh, we are done this week. We will be back. Ju- uh, Jake, you got the live show. Will you be back on Friday? <laughs> yes. Uh, my, by the way, my final Buckeyes 55, uh, Rutgers 21. It sounds like Leontay Peru is going to play uh, as good as Eli Apple and um, uh, Conley and Ben. 
it, it, he's just a, a force in college football. He's he's a man amongst boys, and he's going to get a couple. Uh, so, but Buckeyes roll as usual. Uh, yeah, check out the Score on Air show uh, Friday two to four. We'll be back this week uh, talking Buckeye reaction from the Rutgers game, uh, what happened with the Browns, and a whole lot more. So check it out every Friday two to four. ScoreOnAir.com. Uh, you can get it on the. Uh, what's the Sorry, I got it Yeah. You can get it on the TuneIn app at uh, Google Play or your iPhone uh, app store. So check it out. Well, we send a speedy recovery to Tommy Shutt. He's got the wrist injury. And I'll tell you this, I don't know if anybody was playing better on that Buckeye defense than Tommy Shutt. So it sucks to see him go out. But hopefully he'll be healthy for, you know, the games that we need. Um, uh, Buckeye play at night again against Rutgers. That'll be exciting to get your primetime football in. And, uh, you know, I think they roll as well. I got a score of 45-10. Multiple touchdown winners. Uh, the Buckeyes, you know, will cover this week. Uh, Chris Laviano to Leontu Carew. Uh, hopefully this guy hits the Buckeye football, you know, hits the Buckeye silver bullets harder than he hits the girlfriend. And uh, the Buckeyes beat Kyle Flood and, you know, all that garbage in Piscataway and High, high Point Solution Stadium. So uh, thanks for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you know, it's it's – the journey that we have with this podcast, we appreciate it. It's okay. We appreciate every tweet, every favorite, every comment, anyone and everyone who listens to this podcast. Please share, like, and follow, email, tweet us, your thoughts. Uh, you can send it by, you know, Mike Tyson mystery style, the pigeons. Uh, carrier, you know, agree, disagree. The discussion of our favorite teams is our passion and it fuels our fandom. We say a special salute to the medical professionals out there, uh, doctors, nurses, caregivers, anybody that eases the pain of those in pain. We support our troops and we thank those in service and a special prayer to those that have returned and those still that might be behind in the eyes or missing in action. This is with an Ohio bias. As always, go Browns, go Cavs. Tip off coming. Roll tribe. MMA, hell yeah, wrestling is real. Go CBJ, keep the faith. Tortzilla's in the house, the Tortzilla rain. And as always, go Bucks. OH. I O. I'll get this one up today because I'll just cut it when I'm watching college football, so it won't. Yeah. Cool. Sounds good, man. I don't, I, I don't know why the hell they're at James Madison. That's, no. Yeah. And, and next week, they'll probably be in Philadelphia for Temple. I wouldn't be mad at that. Well, Temple looked like shit the other night so, uh, against East Carolina. So, I think they Boy, did they pull yeah. it out of their ass. I don't know. I think they lose. Them. They got to still play Memphis straight up, don't they? Uh, checking now to see who they play next week. I don't know. I want to get after it, man. You know what I'm saying? It feels good to get one in the can. So. Yeah. Temple plays Notre Dame. Yeah, that's it. That's where it ends. Yeah, that's, it'll be in Philadelphia for Temple Notre Dame. All right, man. I hope your mom's doing better, man. Yeah, so she's... Uh, yeah, she's at home, but uh, they're still waiting for blood tests to come back. We'll know more Monday. 
Thanks, man. <laughs> Appreciate it. All right, man. Until next time. All right, bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.